This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we're going to have a most interesting talk, we hope, with author Reese Pally about his book, The Answer, Why Only Inherently Safe Mini Nuclear Power Plants Can Save Our World. And I must say, that title does say it all, doesn't it? Many of you will find that to be a curious position to put forward, but by all means, stay tuned to our second segment so you can hear the argument made for this position. We are all for solar and wind and green technologies here in this program, but we don't see how those are going to come online fast enough to save us. So by all means, stay tuned for Reese Pally. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 10th of November. On November 10th in 1871, in what is surely still a triumph for self-promotion by America's newspapers... The Welsh-born American journalist Henry Stanley caught up with the ailing Scottish missionary and explorer David Livingstone, which allowed him to utter those still famous words, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. Stanley had been commissioned by the New York Herald to locate Livingstone, who had been presumed dead. And uh, we're pretty underwhelmed by the importance of this story, but yet that famous phrase still lingers. Go figure. On November 10th in 1885, the German automaker Gottlieb Daimler unveiled the new transportation concept, the motorcycle. It was meant only as a testing device for his single-cylinder engine, but caught on. And on November 10th in 1950, during the Chinese invasion of Tibet, the isolated Himalayan country appealed to the United Nations for help, and it did not come. The Red Army secured Tibet and declared it a province of the People's Republic. And its sad status in this area continues to this day. We really disgusted on this program a few years back when a Sac State professor wrote an article, supposedly scholarly piece, explaining, well, why Tibet had always been part of China anyway, dating back to some marriage between royals in like the 13th century. We, we hope she's retired now. Our quote of the day comes from Jay Leno, who said, Bank of America has now scrapped plans for that $5 debit fee. They say rather than doing something up front that offends people, they would get us with a $10 hidden fee we'll never see coming somewhere down the line. Our quip of the day, also from Jay Leno, said Jay, California passed a new law today. There's now a five-day waiting period before Kim Kardashian can get married again. And listeners, if you are planning to marry Kim Kardashian, please give that one a second thought. And in a rare combination, quote, quip, joke, we have the following line from a Sacramento State College of Business Administration ad in the Sacramento Bee. It's titled MBA for Executives, and the line below it is, Creating the Next Generation of Risk Takers. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, if there's one thing this country needs more of, I think it's clear out in the business world, is we need more risk takers. I don't think we'd mind if they were taking risks with their money, but in fact, they seem to take risks with our money. And our stats of the day are as follows. First comes from page A10 of a recent Sacramento Bee, which is where you generally find the good stuff. Brief blurb. Dateline Washington. Many of the country's biggest companies paid no federal taxes or even made money through credits and refunds from the government over the past three years by using an array of loopholes and tax breaks, according to a report released November 3rd. 
The authors examined the finances of 280 corporations from 2008 to 2010 and found that 30 paid zero taxes or used loopholes to wind up with negative tax rates. By the way, I did digress slightly. You know, it's one thing to conclude that corporations are people, but the question is, if they're people, why aren't they paying taxes like people? Because I'm paying taxes and you are, aren't you, dear listener? But the article goes on. Under the tax code, corporations are supposed to pay 35% of their profits in taxes. But the study found many firms used legal tax breaks that allowed them to pay lower rates than ordinary Americans. The report was compiled by the nonprofit groups Citizens for Tax Justice and the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. Our bonus stat from the Zogby organization is that 57% of Americans support President Obama's decision to withdraw all U.S. troops from Iraq by the end of this year, while 31% oppose it. Does this mean that 31% of the American population is insane? Well, dear listener, we leave that for you to decide. Let's do our joke of the day. We're going to take this one from the Dave Barry calendar. Because we found some of our conventional jokes to be lacking of late. Said Dave Barry on his October 12th entry, At the 2004 Republican convention, I attended a gathering of the College Republicans, a group of politically active young people whose views I wholeheartedly endorse because they gave the media free food and liquor. The College Republicans, said Dave, overwhelmingly male, wore nice suits and ties and had haircuts that appeared to be only minutes old. They also had firm handshakes, outgoing personalities, and the easy, confident manner of young people who will someday be deciding whether to move your firm to Taiwan. To which we add, risk takers all, we're confident. One issue, a happy birthday, by the way, to actor Norman Lloyd, who we've spoken with on this program on several occasions. Mr. Lloyd, as of last Tuesday, is now 97. We still have a few snippets of our chat with him to play on the show, and we'll do that before the year's up. We have so many news items we want to talk about, but let's jump first into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week this week for facing reality after Christian radio broadcaster Harold Camping has apologized for telling listeners the world would end in the rapture on May 21st and then again on October 21st. Camping said he was getting out of the prediction business and retiring. Yes, as reported in this program, this was something like actually the fourth and fifth times that Harold Camping had predicted the rapture. So yeah, maybe it is time to hang it up in the old religious business. On the other hand, it was a, uh, a bad week last week for religious freedom in the wake of the news that a lawyer, naturally, has filed a human rights complaint against Catholic University on the grounds that the prevalence of Catholic imagery there violates the rights of Muslim students. Notes the blurb in the week, Catholic University admits students of all faiths, but says attorney John Bangzoff, there's almost nowhere on campus where Muslims can, quote, pray without having to stare up and be looked down upon by a cross of Jesus, unquote. Yes, other nations produce engineers, America produces lawyers. To which we add underemployed lawyers currently. 
who are evidently out there beating the bushes for game. At any rate, it was an ugly week last week for quick thinking with the news <laughs> that 24-year-old Kevin Gaylor of Colorado Springs, after inviting a woman he met online to his house, found that his girlfriend had shown up too. Gaylor allegedly told her that the new woman was a burglar and called the cops to report an intrusion. Unfortunately for Mr. Gaylor, the, apparently the truth uh, unraveled and he was charged with making a false report to authorities. And that kind of reminds me of an old New Yorker cartoon of many years back. An elderly but obviously well-off business executive is sitting at the dinner table with a very calmly young 20-something blonde woman. A matronly-looking and decidedly grumpy woman is staring him in the face with her handbag. And the man's looking up at her saying, You're my wife? You mean this woman is an imposter? And although we do have an Only in America selection, we're going to instead go with our Only in Zimbabwe category for today's, pro for today's program with the following item. A Zimbabwean man arrested for having sex with a donkey told the court the animal was a shape-shifting human prostitute. Apparently, Sunday Moyo, age 28, claims he paid $20 to a woman he met in a nightclub, and that at some point after leaving the club, she must have transformed herself into a donkey and tied herself to a tree. Your Worship, Moyo told the judge, I only came to know that I was being intimate with a donkey when I got arrested. Radio Parallax is of the opinion that shape-shifting sorceresses are probably not something you have to overly concern yourself with when attending your local bar. And of course, that opinion, like all those expressed on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California, none of whom, to our knowledge, have ever had any familiarity with a shape-shifting sorceress. All right, we were hoping in this program to be able to report for you that the Mars life mission has blasted out of Earth orbit and headed out to the Red Planet, but unfortunately, although the Russians have gotten it off the ground, it appears stuck in low Earth orbit after the upper stage rocket has failed to ignite. Workers on the ground are trying to see if they can't sort this one out and get this thing blasted off to Mars. We were especially keen to report on this because the chief scientist of the Living Interplanetary Flight Experiment, which is attached to this Russian probe, is our old, our old pal Bruce Betts of the Planetary Society. We hope they get that one sorted out, and we'll continue to monitor it with you. Oh, and by the way, the Earth did miss a near collision on Tuesday when a rather sizable asteroid went whizzing past us within the distance of our moon. This was a pretty large chunk of matter out there, described as the size of an aircraft carrier. Scientists working with the 7-meter Deep Space Network antenna in Goldstone, California, have generated a short movie clip of this asteroid. It's the highest resolution radar images ever obtained for a near-Earth object. We refer you to spaceweather.com to check that out. Pretty remarkable science on this. The images achieved a resolution as fine as 4 meters across and revealed a number of features that may be boulders on the surface. Let's do some follow-up on stuff we've talked about. The Russian arms dealer Victor Boot was convicted last week in a terror case. It's a strange story. He was captured in Thailand and extradited to the United States over a profound Russian objections. He was found guilty. 
this week of conspiring to sell anti-aircraft missiles and other weapons to men he believed were Colombian terrorists intent on killing Americans. And that's what they got him for. Intent, the intention to kill Americans. Does sound a little bit screwy, but then there's nothing really about the world of international arms trafficking that isn't screwy. We're going to hopefully talk about that topic again either in December or the first of next year. Boot now faces up to life imprisonment for conspiring to kill U.S. citizens, officers, and employees by agreeing to sell weapons to DEA informants who he believed were members of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, better known as FARC. Also, by way of follow-up, we talked about the giant rabbit out at the uh, Sacramento International Airport. Actually, Mr. Miller is not sure that we did talk about that. Well, anyway, there, there is a giant rabbit as part of an artwork display out at our international airport, which prompted the following letter to the Sacramento Bee, which I feel compelled to quote from. It's from Robert G. Dawson. Said Mr. Dawson, on a recent visit to the new Sacramento National Airport terminal, I was very impressed. This was my first close-up view of that red rabbit hanging over the baggage claim area. I must say I was impressed again, but not favorably. New York has a Statue of Liberty. San Francisco has the Golden Gate Bridge, and we have a rabbit, pondered Mr. Dawson. I wonder if visitors could possibly think other than what a hayseed town this must be. Wouldn't a symbol of the capital or a reference to our two great rivers or perhaps just a fountain be more appropriate? I wonder if the next piece of approved artwork would be Elmer Fudd taking a pot shot at old bugs. That would fit. Yes, Radio Parallax has not yet done an on-scene investigation of the giant red rabbit, but uh, rest assured, it's coming. And we are as baffled as Mr. Dawson as to how this thing got put up in our airport. Anyway, we're also puzzled by uh, the hubbub over the Cubans claiming that they have now got a law that's going to let Cubans buy and sell property. The Cubans have a wonderful habit of saying they're going to do this and saying they're going to do that and isn't going to be great. And in fact, nothing happens. So I don't know, when I see the article by Damien Cave of the New York Times quoting Pedro Freire, an expert in the Cuban-American legal relations who teaches at Columbia Law School, saying, this is the foundation, this is how you build capitalism, by allowing the free trade of property. We say, hey, uh, wake us up when something actually changes, okay? And sadly, we're not seeing uh, much change down in Nicaragua. President Daniel Ortega, who is quite a far cry from the young revolutionary he was back in the days of the Sandinistas, has arranged for himself to get reelected. Now, it so happens the Nicaraguan Constitution had had a bar for re-election for politicians, uh, term limits, if you will, but Ortega took the liberty of appointing some friendly judges who decided to overturn that. Noted Tim Johnson writing in the, for the McClatchy newspapers, reports of voting irregularities were persistent, but not vast. Noted the article, the triumph displayed Ortega's transformation from a fatigue-clab socialist to a populist who still lashes out at the U.S. but embraces Roman Catholicism, oversees a growing personal fortune, and sticks to market and investor-friendly policies. We're going to see if we can't bring someone in here who translated for Daniel Ortega a few years back. She took part in a San Francisco fact-finding mission down to that country, and I'm sure we'll have a few interesting uh, things to say about uh, President Ortega, if, if we can get her to say them. All right, we're going to talk about, uh, uh, the, we're going to talk about energy in our, in our second segment today, so here's a couple related stories. I'll go by Seth Bornstein, reprinted in The Bee. 
A draft summary of an international scientific report obtained by the AP says that extremes caused by global warming could eventually grow so severe that some locations become increasingly marginal as places to live. Ouch. Coupled with that, another article also by Mr. Bornstein, noting that the global output of heat-trapping carbon dioxide jumped last year by the biggest amount on record, according to the U.S. Department of Energy. The new figures for 2010 mean that levels of greenhouse gases are higher than the worst-case scenario outlined by climate experts just four years ago. The world pumped about 564 million more tons of CO2 into the air in 2010 than it did in 2009. That's an increase of 6%. Note the article, that amount of extra pollution eclipses the individual emissions of all but three countries in the world, China, India, and the United States, the world's top producers of greenhouse gases. Note the article, India and China are huge users of coal. Burning coal is the biggest carbon source worldwide, and emissions from it jumped nearly 8% in 2010. All right, what else we got? We've been talking about how uh, certain people don't pay taxes in this country, so we're not optimistic that this plan to go to a flat tax is going to solve anything. Although, personally, I find the idea that we have to have a progressive tax somewhat amusing, given the wide array of uh, loopholes that are built into the system so that no one's paying those higher rates. Because if they go to a flat tax and, and, and they leave in all those loopholes, nothing will change. But just to digress slightly, uh, here's some inane comments by Robert Reich writing in the San Francisco Chronicle. The flat tax is an out-and-out -out fraud. Out of simple fairness, our tax code has always required the rich to pay a greater percentage of their incomes than the poor. Mr. Reich, if the rich really were paying a greater percentage of their income than the poor, we'd have had the flat tax 25 years ago. We don't have a flat tax because they don't pay more than the poor. Hello? Well, actually, correction. They may, they may pay more than the poor. They're just not paying more than the middle class. Speaking of economics, let's quote from the Paul Krugman column from last week, which has some wisdom in it. Speaking about hydraulic fracturing, a.k.a. fracking, said Krugman, fracking, injecting high-pressure fluid into rocks deep under the ground, inducing the release of fossil fuels, is an impressive technology, but it's also a technology that imposes large costs on the public. We know that it produces toxic and radioactive wastewater that contaminates drinking water. There's reason to suspect, despite industry denials, that it also contaminates groundwater. And the heavy trucking required for fracking inflicts ma major damage on roads. Economics 101 tells us that an industry imposing large costs on third parties should be required to, quote, internalize, unquote, those costs. That is, to pay for the damages it inflicts, treating that damage as a cost of production. Fracking might still be worth doing given those costs. But no industry should be held harmless from its impacts on the environment and the nation's infrastructure. Yet, what the industry and its defenders demand is, of course, precisely that it be let off the hook for the damage it causes. Why? Because we need the energy. For example, the industry-backed organization EnergyFromShale.org declared that there are only two sides in the debate. Those who want our oil and natural resources developed in a safe and responsible way, and those who don't want our oil and natural gas resources developed at all. So it's worth pointing out, says Krugman, that special treatment for fracking makes a mockery of free market principles. Pro-fracking politicians claim to be against subsidies, yet letting an industry impose costs without paying compensation 
is in effect a huge subsidy. They say they oppose having the government, quote, pick winners, unquote, yet they demand special treatment for this industry precisely because they claim it will be a winner. Well, we think he's right when he states that fracking makes a mockery of free market principles. We have noticed that a lot of industries like to play the capitalist card and free enterprise card and freedom card when it suits their purposes. But in fact, a lot of this amounts to corporate socialism, corporate favoritism, and good old-fashioned cronyism. We better talk about some solutions. Let's take a break and do that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Thrown like a star in my vast by open my eyes to take a peek. Find that I was by the sea Gazing with tranquility Just then when the pearly girl man Came singing songs of love Then when the hurdy girl man Came singing songs of love 